0: Good morning. morning. It's good to worship with you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. This morning, uh, we are wrapping up our series, Catching the Vision, where we uh, have been walking through our mission statement, our values. Um, So we started out talking about the fact that we are a family of faith living for eternity today. That is our mission statement. That is our goal, that we are people who aren't just living for today, who aren't just living for this life, but we're people who have eternity in mind as we are living, and we are seeking to have an eternal impact in our world, Uh, and we're doing that as a family of faith. Uh, And then we talked about uh, our values. So we started out talking about uh, us fostering authentic community, talked about applying the scriptures, we talked about operating through prayer, engaging the lost, and then last week we talked about training up disciples, and this week we'll talk about our last value, which is use our resources. Use our resources. We value a culture of generosity that leverages our possessions, time, and and spiritual gifts for kingdom advancement. We value a culture of generosity that leverages our possessions, time, and spiritual gifts for kingdom advancement. Uh, I promise that this sermon this morning is not a push for year-end giving. Uh, that is not the idea. <laughs> it just happened to be the last of our values to cover uh, this morning, but we're going to uh, get into Luke chapter 16, where we're going to see this uh, play out, this idea of using our resources. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse one, "He that's Jesus." Jesus said to his disciples, "There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions." And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm, I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from manager, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, "A 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, that it convicts us, that it, it shapes us and molds us, it exposes the things in our lives that are dishonoring and displeasing to you. Father, I pray that this morning as we encounter your word, that we would have a heart that longs to apply it, that our, our ears would be ready to listen to what it is that you're saying us, and we would desire to apply your word to our lives, God, so that we as a church can go out and and look like you, that we can function and be the church that you're calling us to be, God. So I pray this morning that you would open up our ears, you would open up our hearts, and you would shape us and mold us to be the people that you've called us to be. Father, we love you and praise you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I don't know if you guys follow uh, sports news a lot, um, but Urban Meyer was fired this week as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, spoilers, if anybody is waiting to watch a Jaguars game to see who their head coach is. But, uh, but Urban Meyer is no longer the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you don't know who Urban Meyer is, uh, he was a wildly successful coach in uh, college. He was a, a college uh, coach at Florida, was successful there. was a coach at Ohio State University, the Ohio State University, if you want to be pretentious. And he was, the, he was the coach there for a little while, uh, was really successful there. Uh, and then he retired uh, from uh, the Ohio State University. Uh, for health reasons. He wanted to, to take a step back, so he, he retired. When well, The job opening came up in Jacksonville for the Jaguars, and the owner, Shad Khan, uh, waived enough millions in front of Urban Meyer and, and uh, enough of a big stage opportunity that he decided he was no longer going to be retired. Right? If you waive 45 million or so dollars in front of someone, that might, might get them out of retirement. Uh, and so he came out of retirement to coach the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if you don't know the process in the NFL of hiring a coach, generally an owner, sometimes a general manager, will go out and they will find their guy to lead their team. And so they'll, they'll scour the, the coaching ranks, they'll look at coordinators, they'll look at coaches from across the country, and they'll go find their guy. And basically what happens is an owner says, hey, I've brought this team together, I'm paying these guys, and I'm entrusting you to do something great with it. Right? I have brought these guys together, and I'm giving you the keys to the car. I'm giving you the opportunity to go do something great with this team. And that's what happened with Urban Meyer. They, they brought him in and said, hey, here's the team. Do something great with it. Right? Set the culture that you want. Set the practices that you want. Set the game plan that you want, the offense and the defense that you like. Bring in the players you want. Cut the players you want. But do something great with my team. And then a lot of on-field and off-field issues. Urban Meyer led to a 2-11 and 11 record for his first 13 games uh, and promptly led to his firing. So Urban Meyer had a great opportunity to do something amazing with the Jaguars and struggled on field, off the field, and that led to his firing. Well, the people in Jesus' day would not have understood most of the story I just told you, right? They would not have understood Things like the NFL or the Ohio State University or Urban Meyer, they probably wouldn't have much of an idea of what a jaguar is, but uh, the people in Jesus' day wouldn't have understood that. But the story that I just told you is very similar to the story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16. The bones of it are almost identical. See, Jesus is sitting around... A table he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, the, the social outcasts of his day. And around him are also the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elites who cannot believe that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. He can't believe that Jesus is dining with the social outcasts of his day. And so in Luke chapter 15, Jesus responds to the Pharisees, he responds to the scribes, and he gives them three, three stories, three different parables about his love for the lost, that Jesus and, and God love the lost. And then in Luke chapter 16, he pivots and he turns to his disciples with everyone else listening, and he tells them this parable, that there was an owner. There was a guy who had a lot of property. He had a lot of resources. He was a wealthy man, and he hired a manager, right? He, he went out and he got his head coach to take over his resources and to deal with them. This is the same idea of like an owner and chairman of a board bringing in a CEO and saying, do something great with this company. Right, or someone who's wealthy hiring a financial manager and saying, do something great with my resources, right? Just, just make more for me. That's what this guy did. He, he had a lot of stuff. He brought in a guy and he said, I'm going to pay you well. I'm going to give you a place to live. I'll give you food to eat. I'll give you a great salary. I'll keep you safe if you just do something great with my stuff, right? Like just manage my property and do something great with this. Well, not every head coach that you bring in is going to be a Bill Belichick, right? Like sometimes you bring in an Urban Meyer. And so what happened was, This manager, as we see in verse 1, there was a rich man who had a manager. Charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So this manager that he brought in was a really bad manager. This guy that he brought in, not only was he bad at his job, but but that wasting his possessions, that term there, is very similar to the term that Luke uses in another parable about the, uh, the prodigal son and what the prodigal son did to his inheritance. If you don't remember the story of the prodigal son, the son goes to his father and says, Dad, give me my part of the inheritance right now. I don't want to be here anymore. It'd be better for me financially if you were dead. Just go ahead and give me the resources uh, that you're going to give me when you die anyways. Give them to me, and I'm going to take off. So the father gives him his portion of the inheritance, and the son takes off. And what we see in the prodigal son story is that the son squanders his father's resources. Like, he, he gets that inheritance and he blows it on parties, blows it on women, he blows it on whatever else he wanted to do, trying to live this fun life that he wanted to live. When he went out on his own, he squandered his father's resources and he ended up destitute and broke and eating pig slop. Like, he, he, he ended up in a terrible place. That, that's what he did to his father's possessions. And that same word, squandering, wasting, is the word that's used here to describe what the manager did. To his master's possessions that he took his master's stuff and he began just wasting it like that's not just bad at your job that is uh that is stealing from your manager that's that's uh that's wasting and squandering what the master has given you and that's what this guy's doing and so you can picture this story playing out some guys some other people in the organization they go up to the leader and say hey do you see what this guy's doing he's he's wasting your stuff he's throwing parties He's living lavishly, he's, he's embezzling money from you. Like, you see what this guy's doing, and so, uh, so this manager gets a knock on his door, or a call, or whatever, I don't. Know, probably not a call in those days, but he got a knock on his door, a guy comes in and says, hey, the boss wants to see you. Hey, the, the, the boss wants to talk to you, right? And that's never, that's usually not a good thing, especially if you know you're embezzling money from a company, it's probably not a good thing. So the guy comes in, hey, boss wants to talk to you, so you can just feel the managers, just his, the, the anxiousness and the, his stomach drop. Like he knows, this, this guy knows. You can see him walking to, his, to the owner. You can see him walking to the master, walk into the room. And the master's standing there with, with his arms crossed with an angry look on his face. And, and he lays out the charges in front of him and says, is this, is this true? Like, did you waste my money? Did you waste my stuff? Is this true and you can see the manager kind of begin to make excuses like well i mean yeah it was a bad quarter like we had a bad time Uh, but we can really turn things around you can see the man the the owner getting mad and just saying is it true did you squander my possessions the manager says yeah yeah it's true we see in verse two he called him and said to him what is this that i hear about you turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. So the master pulls him aside. He says, get your books together. Give me an account of what you did with my resources because you're fired. Like clean out your office. You have a, you have a couple weeks, get the books together, and then you're going to be out of here. You can no longer be manager. And you can feel what the manager is fe- feeling here in this moment. Like we're not supposed to feel sympathy for him, right? Like he's, he deserves it. He, he got what was coming to him. He deserved to get fired. He got fired, but but you can you can sympathize a little bit with what he's feeling in this moment. Especially with, with the pandemic and the mass layoffs that came with that. We can feel and sympathize a little bit with what this guy is feeling in this moment. He's sitting there and he's just lost his job and he's wondering, how am I gonna make it? How how am I gonna survive? And he begins to, to go through the list in his head, no one is ever going to hire him to do a white-collar job again. Right? He has been stealing money, and embezzling money from this company, squandering his master's resources. Nobody is ever going to hire him to do that again. And so he's begin, he begins to look around and look at his options, and he realizes I'm, I am, no one's ever going to hire me for white-collar again, and I am, I am too weak to dig, is what he says. I am too weak to do any blue-collar work. And so... He's running through the options again in his head, and he says, well, this, there's begging. That's literally the only thing left, and I'm too proud to beg, so I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to survive. I don't know how I'm going to provide for myself. We can feel what the manager is feeling there in this moment, that, that stress, that anxiety, that, that fear, and he knows he deserves it. We notice in this passage he's, he's not making a ton of excuses for it or, or trying to argue. Like, he knows he deserves it, but he is worried about his future, has no idea how he's going to provide for himself, maybe his family. So we see uh, in verse 4, and he comes up with this brilliant plan. And it's actually, that wasn't sarcastic. He really does come up with a brilliant plan. Look at me in verse 4. I have decided what to do. So that when I am removed from manager, people may receive me into their houses. Again, you can see that desperation. He doesn't, this isn't a, a calculated thing where he says, if I do this, they're definitely going to do this. That, there's that may in there. They might receive me. If I just do this one thing, if, if this plan works out, maybe someone will, will receive me into their houses. Maybe I'll have a place to live. I'll have food to eat. Maybe if I can just get this to work. And he has this brilliant plan in verse 5. Summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. He said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So what just happened? The manager is looking around. He's wondering how he's gonna make ends meet. He's wondering how he's going to survive. And then he realizes, he has a couple weeks. Like, there's a short window here while he's getting the books together that he's still in charge of his master's money. Like, he has this really short window where he still has the books. Right? This is why when someone gets fired in a company, sometimes at a high-level position, they'll get taken out by cops. Like it's, uh, this is what they're worried about. But in this day, uh, apparently they weren't worried about it. So this guy had a, a few weeks there, a short window where he had control of the books, and he realized, I can do something with this. Like, while, I, while I have control of my master's resources, I can use them for my benefit. So he goes to the first guy. He says, how much do you owe my master? And he says, 100 measures of oil. So what that is, I mean, this, these are huge debts to his master. That, the first guy owes about 875 gallons of oil to his master. And he says, okay, uh, just real quickly, I'm the, I'm, I have the books. The master has put me in charge of this. Uh, and out of the generosity of my heart, uh, go ahead and just write 50. You know, take, scratch out 100 and just write 50. So instead of owing my master 875 gallons, uh, we'll just owe him uh, what, whatever that is in half. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll, owe him, we'll owe him that much, Write 400 and something. And so, uh, so he does. He quickly scratches it out and, and writes 50. Say, he saves this guy, I mean, tons of money and profits. Uh, by this one act. Then he goes to another guy. He says, all right, how much do you owe my master? And he says, well, I, I owe him 100 measures of wheat. That's, that's about 60,000 pounds of wheat. And so, again, this is a huge debt. This is a lot of money. This is a lot of product that needs to be moved to his master. And he says, okay, well, the master has put me in charge of the books. And just out of the, the generosity of my heart, out of my kindness, uh, take your bill, scratch out 100, and write 80. Like, instead of owing my master 60,000 pounds of wheat, we'll just say you owe him 48,000. And we'll call it even. So of course, the guy crosses it out. He rides 48,000 pounds. And that's, uh, that's the end of it. It's a brilliant plan. Because what he's doing is he's using his master's resources. While he has, a, a short, he has them for a short amount of time, he uses them for his benefit. Because these people are now deeply indebted to him. And these people are now uh, really big fans of this manager. And so when this guy gets let go, when, he, when he's out of the company and he no longer has a place to live, he no longer has any food to eat, they are going to accept him into their houses. Right? They'll bring them in because they saved him 12,000 pounds of wheat or over 400 uh, uh, gallons of oil. All right, so th- it's a brilliant plan. The only problem is uh, the, the, the master is the one getting defrauded here. Right? Like he's the one um, that's still bearing this burden. Uh, he's the one that is, is losing money in this deal. And so we're wondering then, how is the master going to respond? Right? Brilliant move uh, by the, the manager, uh, but probably not going to be happy for the master. That's probably a really, uh, he's probably angry. But we see this incredible turn of events in verse 9. Excuse me, verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager. For his shrewdness. This, this crazy turn of events where the, the master looks at his manager's uh, accounts, he looks at this manager's shrewdness and he says, that was brilliant. Like, that was a really smart move on your part. Now I want to I I clarify, Jesus is not giving a commentary on good business practices. Right, Jesus is not saying, go embezzle money from your company, go defraud your company, go lie. That's not at all what Jesus is talking about here. He's not giving business practices. But what, he's, what we see that the guy commends is not the theft. He doesn't commend the, the bad practices. He doesn't commend the wasting of his money. In fact, he fired him for it. Right? He doesn't commend any of those things. What he commends him for is his shrewdness. He commends him for his wisdom and his prudence and how he handled this moment. Because the manager looks at his his short window of when he had access to his master's resources and he used them for his benefit. He had this very limited moment, this this tiny short window, and he leveraged things that he didn't own. He leveraged things that that he didn't control. He leveraged things that, that he never possessed in the first place, and he leveraged them for his benefit. Like how wise, how shrewd, how prudent was that of his manager? And that's what the master commends. He says, that was brilliant on your part. Uh, It's illegal, but brilliant on your part. And that's what Jesus turns it around on his audience. And he says, uh, the second half of verse 8, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus says, the people of this world know how to use their money to make more money. Uh, The people of this world know how to use their money for their benefit. Like the sons of this world are, are good at it, right? There's a whole TV channel designed like CNBC, right? Get yours, that's the, the little tagline on CNBC. The Shark Tank and shows like The Prophet and other shows like that on CNBC are all about rich people using their money to make more money. Like the people of this world know how to leverage what they have for their own personal benefit. I, I went to business school surrounded by people who are really good at using what they have to make more of it. People in this world, people in this life, are plenty good at taking what they have, what they own today, and using it for their own personal benefit. The sons of this world are shrewd in their dealings with one another. They are wise in leveraging what they have for their own personal benefit. But Jesus says, if the people of this world are so wise with their money that they know how to do it for their benefit, then the people of God need to be infinitely wiser with their money. The people of God need to have an infinitely better idea of what to do with their resources. The sons of this earth know how to use their money for their benefit. How much more should the people of God know how to use their resources? Jesus goes on in verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you. Into the eternal dwellings. What does it look like to be wise with our money? What does it look like to, to be shrewd and wise and prudential with the things that God has given us? Jesus says, it looks like making friends with yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails, they receive you into, into eternal dwellings. What Jesus is saying there is. Is that the things that we have in this world, our, our wealth, our money, our, uh, we can expand the principle beyond just money. It's our time, our, our gifts and abilities. Those things are all temporary. Not one of those things are going to carry with us into eternity. Like when we die, all of our money, all of our time, all of our gifts and abilities, all of those things die with us. And we don't get to carry a single one of those things into eternity. That's why Jesus says that our money, the, the, these resources, these possessions, they are unrighteous wealth. He's not saying that money is inherently bad. He's not saying that money is inherently evil. What he's pointing out is the fact that it's inherently worthless. That the things that we own today are inherently worthless in light of eternity. There's not, they're not worth anything for all of eternity. So he's saying if you can take something that is worthless in light of eternity and use it for an eternal impact, that is being shrewd with your money. That is being wise with your possessions. See, just like the manager, we have this short window where we own possessions that aren't ours and won't matter for all of eternity. And while we have this short window open, we have the opportunity to leverage those resources for an eternal impact. We have the opportunity to leverage those things for kingdom advancement. We can trade something that is worthless for something that will matter forever. Jesus says, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwelling. So again, what does it look like to leverage what you have for all of eternity? He says, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. What Luke is is really concerned with here and what he's concerned with throughout the book of Luke is he is he is deeply concerned with the poor and the needy those who are struggling the the whole of Luke's gospel and into the book of Acts is is Luke's heart is for the people who are struggling and downtrodden that's what he is he is showing that the gospel matters for them that God is for those who are, who are hurting and who are broken. And so Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 16 that while we have our resources today, make friends for ourselves. Go leverage those resources to have an impact on people's lives. Go use our resources that don't matter forever, that are just inherently worthless and aren't even ours to begin with. Go use those things to meet the needs of the needy and the downtrodden. Go use those resources to go meet the needs of the people around us. And he goes on to say that so that they can go ahead of you into the eternal kingdom of God and they can welcome you in. Use our resources to meet the needs of the hurting and the broken and use our resources to go advance the gospel so that the people that we help, the people that we share with, the people that we use our resources for, they can go on ahead of us to the kingdom of God. And when we die, those people can welcome us in. I want to be clear here again. In light of all of scripture, Luke is not saying here and Jesus is not saying here that we can buy our way into heaven. Right, that if we, can, if we just use our resources in a good way, if we just help people, if we uh, give to missions, then, then we can be welcomed into heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying here at all. What he's saying here is that if you can leverage your resources for an eternal impact, then those people may go on ahead of you to the kingdom of God. And if you know Jesus, then they will welcome you in with open arms, standing there at the gate. Because it was your money, it was your resources, it was your help that led them there. It was the things that you did, the the resources that you gave that allowed them to hear the gospel, that allowed them to to overcome their brokenness and their downtroddenness, that allowed them to, to get through a really difficult part of their life. so that then they were able to hear the gospel and go on ahead of you into the kingdom of God. What Jesus is proclaiming here is to use your resources for an eternal impact. Jesus goes on, In verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Jesus is hitting home this point. That the things that you own today are inherently worthless. The things that you own today will not matter for all of eternity. And so if you can't even use the things that are worthless, if you can't even use the things that are, 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 aren't valued for anything for all of eternity, if you can't even use those things, right, then why should anyone give you in charge of eternal riches? If you squander and waste your master's possessions today, why should anyone give you riches to, 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 to manage in the future? And he goes on to say, if you mismanage, if you are bad with, if you are unwise with money that's not even your own, who's going to give you your own account? He is hitting home the idea that the things we have today are temporary and they're gods, and they're to use those things to have an eternal impact. Because if we don't use those things for an eternal impact, what does that say about us? If we can't even take the worthless things of this world and use them for an eternity, what does that say about who we are and what we worship? Well, Jesus tells us. If we're people who, who... idolize money, if we're people that that make money an end instead of a means, if we're people that use our possessions as as a goal to be achieved instead of a tool to be used for God, then he says we're people that worship the wrong thing. And we cannot rightly call ourselves the people of God. Because he says in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one And despise the other you cannot serve both God and money if we're people that that cannot use what God has given us to have an eternal impact and instead we use our money to benefit ourselves we use our money to 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 make life great for us we use our money for uh, selfish uh, personal reasons if that's all that we do then we prove that really money is our God if we trust in our money to give us comforts in this life more than God, then that shows us that money is our idol. If we are longing for money to help us out, if we're longing for just a bigger bank account, if we're longing for just a bigger check, if we're longing for more money and more money and more money, then at the end of the day, what we're proving is that our God, our goal, our, our idol in our life is our bank account. And instead of worshiping the God who created all things, we're worshiping the money that he gave us in this life to be used for eternal impact. You cannot serve both God and money, they cannot both be your gods. So if we don't use our money with eternity in mind, that tells us that we're worshiping the wrong thing. If we don't use our money, with eternity in mind, if we don't use our money for an eternal impact, then it tells us that we are raising up and worshiping money as an idol instead of the creator. What Jesus was teaching his disciples is the same thing that he's teaching us this morning. The main idea of this passage is that your resources are temporary. So use them with eternity in mind. Your resources are temporary, so use them with eternity in mind. Now, again, this is talking about money specifically in this passage because that's something that all of us deal with. That's something that all of us struggle with. That's something, especially in America, with a consumer mindset and and a capitalist society, uh, Like that's something that we all have as a temptation in front of us, that uh, money is an idol, money is a god. And so it's been true. uh, It's true today. It's been true for over 2,000 years because Jesus is talking about it. Um, he's specifically hitting on money, but again, that principle can be taken to include a lot more than just money. That's why in our value statement, it's not just using our money, it's use our resources. That's our possessions, that's our time, that's our spiritual gifts, like our gifts and abilities, the things that God has given us. Use what God has given you with eternity in mind, because all of those things are just temporary. What could that look like for Freedom Fellowship? What could it look like if we are people uh, who live for eternity today? What could it look like if we're people who used our resources and leveraged those things for an eternal impact, for, for kingdom advancement? What would it look like? Well, I think first and foremost, it would look like our city being reached for the gospel. I think it would look like every single one of us going out into our community and seeing the needs of the people around us and then meeting those needs with what God has given us. It looks looks like each of us on an individual level leveraging the things that God has given us today and using those things for an eternal kingdom advancement impact. So it looks like seeing people who are struggling to make ends meet and if God has given you the resources to help them, then meet their needs. It looks like seeing the, the people who have a rough moment in their life and if you have the opportunity to step in, then step in. So it looks like the community being helped, being reached, and and more than that, not just being helped and reached, but being reached with the gospel. It looks like all of us going out with the gospel on our tongues and a wallet that matches, (laughs) right? A gospel that says life is found in Jesus and in nothing else. And a, a wallet that is willing to help Because money isn't the end-all, be-all. Money isn't the goal. It's just a tool to be used for eternal impact. It's it's the gospel on our our tongues and a willingness to use the time that God has given us, the hours and the days and the weeks that God has given us to meet needs and to help people see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ in the gospel. It's, It's going out with the gospel on our tongues and our gifts and our abilities being used and leveraged to help meet people's needs. And to see them enter the kingdom of God. If we are a church that uses our resources, it looks like reaching Roanoke in the surrounding area for the kingdom of God. You'll see more and more people come to know Jesus if their needs are met, and as the gospel is proclaimed by a church that doesn't just talk about the gospel, but lives it. But even beyond that, in the book of Acts, uh, which we'll get back to in two weeks. Um, we see that there, and, and throughout the New Testament, uh, we see that there are really two types of churches. There are receiving churches, those who, who are in financial needs, who are in struggling uh, positions, uh, who, who they need resources, they need they need leaders, they, they, they don't have those things. Uh, and so they're receiving churches. And then they have, uh, they're giving churches, sending churches. Those who have excess resources, those who have, uh, and trained up leaders, and then send them out, and th- who can send out resources and, and money and things like that to help other churches. Both are fine. One type of church is not better than the other. They have a lot to do with your circumstances and who, who's around you. And in the, in the New Testament, the Jerusalem church was really struggling because they were hit hard with persecution. And so they were really struggling. They needed financial help. They needed uh, Other churches needed leadership help. And so there's a a collection going on throughout the New Testament letters. You kind of read in a lot of Paul's letters, there's a collection going on through churches who are bringing their resources together to go take to Jerusalem to help that church. Both are fine. It doesn't matter which type of church you are. It has a lot to do with your situation. But God has greatly blessed us as a congregation and has greatly blessed our area with financial resources and has greatly given us an opportunity to have an outsized impact for the kingdom of God. What we've been able to accomplish as, as a church financially is remarkable. Like a church our size, that a church with our size owns a building and has a full-time pastor is incredible on its own. And so the fact that, that God has uniquely positioned us I believe he has uniquely positioned us to be a sending church, a church that can send out resources to help other churches, who can, who can train up and send out pastors to revitalize, who can train up and send out pastors to plant churches where churches do not exist, who can re- train up and send out missionaries around the world. We can have an outsized impact on the kingdom of God because of what God has enabled us to do as a sending church. And as we continue to grow, and I'm I can't wait to see us grow because I know that, that we as, as we continue to be the church God has called us to do, we will grow. We will see more and more people come to know Jesus. And that is my heart. That is what I would love to see that our church would grow. But if we grew to a mega church size and we had thousands of people meeting every single week, we would still only reach a tiny fraction of our community. And so we have the opportunity to have an outsized impact for the kingdom of God instead of just us meeting here every single week and reaching our community. We have the opportunity to send resources around the world to see people come to know Jesus and to see ministry happen around the world. We have the opportunity to raise up and send out pastors to pastor churches across the country so we can see people coming to know Christ. We can see ministry happening, and we had a small part to play in that. We can, we can see missionaries raised up and sent out around the world so that we, we can see the gospel go to places where it doesn't currently exist and we can have a small part in that, so we have an outsized impact for the kingdom of God as sending church. What it looks like for us to be a church who uses our resources, I think it would look like us being a church that, that has an impact on the kingdom of God, has an impact on the world, that, that way uh, goes beyond our borders, that extends far beyond these walls, extends far beyond Roanoke, and you go, throughout the state, throughout the country, and around the world. And that happens if we are a church that uses our resources, our possessions, our time, and our gifts and abilities for kingdom advancement. Are you somebody who is using your resources for the kingdom of God? Are you somebody that, that sees your money, that sees your time, that sees your gifts and abilities as a tool to be used for Kingdom Advancement or are you somebody that is worshipping money, who's worshipping yourself and your time, who's worshipping yourself and your gifts and abilities? Are you using your resources for Kingdom Advancement or are you using your resources for yourself? This morning the Word of God is calling us to be a church that uses our resources for Kingdom Advancement, that has an outsized eternal impact by the things that we have today. We have the opportunity to trade money that is inherently worthless and time that we were going to spend anyways and gifts and abilities that we can't take with us. We have the opportunity to spend those things on something that's going to matter forever. Why would we not do that? This morning, there are some of you here where the thing that you need to do this morning is not to give more. It's not to... to to meet people's needs financially, the thing that you need to do this morning is enter the kingdom of God yourself. Where you can't have an eternal impact by expanding the kingdom of God because you're not within its borders yourself. And so you know that no matter how you use your money, you're not going to be welcomed in to the kingdom of God. Because what you have to do is enter the kingdom yourself. And this morning you have the opportunity to do just that. If you place your faith in Jesus, It's by His death and resurrection that you have the opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. So the most important thing for you this morning is not how you use your money. The most important thing for you this morning is where you're going to spend eternity. And if you're here this morning and you know that you have never placed your faith in Jesus, you know that you have never entered into a relationship with Him this morning, you have the opportunity to do just that. We're going to sing in just a few minutes. And as we sing... I'm going to be standing right here. I would love to just pray with you. If you want to come talk to me? And then after the service, I'd love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus, to enter into a relationship with God, and to be brought into the kingdom of God the very first time. If that's you, I always sing. I invite you to come talk to me, and I'd love to pray with you. Everybody else, what is God calling you to do with your resources? I want to be clear this is not a sermon that is designed to get you to tithe more. That's not at all what God is calling us for. I mean, that's a great opportunity. If you want to do that, fine. That'd be awesome. But, um, but that's not at all what the Word of God is saying here. It's not make sure you're giving 10%, make sure you're doing this for the church or that. What it's saying is uh, look at what you have and view 100% of it as a tool to be used for the kingdom of God. So what is God, what is God calling you to do with what God has given you? As we, as we pray... Before we sing, I want you to take a moment and just think about and pray, God, what are you calling me to do with what you've given me? And then give it all to him. Give him your resources, your possessions, your time, and your your spiritual gifts and abilities. Give it all over to him and say, God, I want to have an eternal impact. While we pray, I want every single one of you to pray that prayer to the Lord and ask him uh, to guide your use of your resources. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you have given us incredible gifts. You've given us some measure of of finances. You've given us some measure of of time. You've given us some measure of gifts and abilities. God, you have given us so much. God, help us to realize that those things are gifts. Help us to realize that, that those things are tools. Help us to realize that those things are not God's. Those things are not worshiping. They're not worth worshiping. So Father, I pray that every single one of us would, would turn those things over to you. That we would hold our resources with an open hand, and we would long for you to use them for an eternal impact. God, help us to leverage and trade the things that we have today for things that are going to matter forever. God, help us as a church to have an impact on Roanoke and the surrounding area to see our community come to know Jesus and help us to be a sending church who can, who can use what you've given us to see ministry happen around the world. See more and more people come to know you. See more and more people who are needy and struggling have their needs met. God, we want to be a church that has an outsized eternal Impact and you have called us to it if we will be a church that uses our resources for you. Father, I pray that every single one of us would be willing to do so. God, I pray for anybody here who does not know you. I pray this morning that they would they would stop worshiping other things, that they would they would stop trying to find joy and satisfaction in other parts of their life, and that, that this morning they would finally run to you. You're waiting with arms open wide to invite them into the kingdom of God by the death and resurrection of Jesus. This mor- God, let this morning be the morning that they enter into a relationship with you. We love you and praise you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.